Welcome home, family. It's good to see everyone out here worshiping with us this morning. Hope you've been warmly welcomed and uh, greeted as you have come in. Thank you, worship uh, team. Man, I love that last song, Promises. It's a a song that gets stuck in my head, so I'm probably going to be singing it all day. Uh, It's really good. Good reminder about uh, God's great promises. We're going to continue our series through the book of Exodus, and we'll be in uh, the end of Exodus chapter 15, all the way through to the beginning of Exodus 17. So if you have your Bibles and you like to follow along, you can turn there, but if you don't, don't worry, because it'll be on the screen when we get there. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time that we can gather as your people, and we can sit and uh, read your word together, learn from you, praise your name together, pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, as we open up your word, I just pray that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts, that we can see you in it. We can see how you've moved in the past, but also see how you still move today in our own lives. Lord, I just pray that we can be your people in all that we do, that this can be an encouraging time as we see the truth of your love, the truth of your provision, your truth of your sovereignty and care for your people. And Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know I have lived a pretty privileged life. There actually has never been really a time in my life where the basic needs of life, like food and water and shelter, have not been something I... Uh, you know, have been in lack of. I have never really lacked those. The, probably the closest I've ever come to being in true need was this one time in college. You never, every story starts great like that. That one time in college, when I went to college up in Colorado and I journeyed back up there at the beginning of a semester, and on the way uh, up there, you know, you know, uh, buying gas and, and all those supplies up there, I probably uh, didn't realize my bank account was dropping as low as it was. And I get there, and me being a very diligent student, thought the first thing I should do was go buy all the books for the whole semester. And so I did that. At that time, I'm a science major, and so those were expensive books. And I didn't realize I maxed out my credit card doing so, because I only had a $500 limit on that. And then, me, still just clueless of the situation I was in, go to the grocery store. And I let me tell you, you might have known this, but there's never a feeling quite like being at the grocery store with bags and every form of payment being declined. And you just look at the, the cashier, and then you kind of go, should I help you restock the shelves? I don't know what's going on here. Like, it was a new experience for me. So that's like the only experience where I'm like, oh man, I'm in kind of need. Good thing at my house there was a big jar of animal crackers, because that's what I lived on for the next few days until a check cleared and I could buy groceries. Well, that was like the closest I've ever experienced of being in Trinidad. I know there's probably people here who have been in Trinidad. I know some people's stories, and they have experienced that, where they did not know where their next meal was coming from. They did not know these, these basic provisions, where they were coming from. There's people we, we seek to care in the community. That's why we do a food bank, and that's why we serve at the Hope Campus, because we realize there's people who truly face that on a daily basis, where, where their next meal is coming from, and these true needs. But humanity need some of those basic things just to live, right? They need those basic things which food and water are some of the most basic things we need. And when we can't find them, or we don't know where they're coming from next, 
it can get into a scary place. And that is where we find Israel at the end of chapter 15. That they are now facing a situation where they're in the wilderness, and they don't know where the water's going to come from, and they don't know where their next meal is coming from, and they get into a scary place and they let that consume them rather than looking towards their God who has provided so far. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 22. This is a longer uh, passage that we're going to read because we're going to read through 16, and so just follow along to see how these three kind of accounts have this common theme about how God provides. So it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water." They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And, and from the fifth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven, for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what, we, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to, to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord." Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take, uh, each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. 
They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it, it was with the omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when, they, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day he gives you the bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let, one go out, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called, called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in, the, in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout our throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer, omer is the tenth part of uh, Ephed. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and, and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to him, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So my, Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he uh, called the name of the place Massa and Mareb because of the quarrel of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? What will we take from this passage of Scripture? These kind of three accounts, but if you look at these three accounts, they have a common theme that threads throughout all three of them. And I would say that common theme is this. God perpetually provides for his people. That we see again and again through these three accounts that God provides for his people. Now, if you like that, like God perpetually provides for his people, I love alliteration. You might not know that, but I like alliteration. But you could actually change perpetually, meaning he always is going to do it, with so many other P words. God powerfully provides for his people. God perfectly provides for his people. Any of those work because as we see in those counts, God does it again and again. When his people are in need, he takes care of them. And actually, we see this theme developing in these three accounts that God provides 
for his people what they need in that moment. Now we have trouble because we have a problem distinguishing what we need versus what we want. My, my daughter loves chocolate milk, like loves it so much. She drinks too much chocolate milk probably, but she always asks me, she says, I need chocolate milk. I need it because she's just like us, gets confused about what we need versus what we want. And, and so we have to look at this and say that God is true. He gives us what we need, and he actually knows better about what we need than what we want. And so we trust in him that God perpetually provides for his people. He does it always. He never stops. He never fails. He gives us what we need. God perpetually provides for his people. But when we read this account, we cannot escape the very humanness of it. For if we put ourselves in the shoes of Israel, we understand actually why they grumble. That's kind of how the account starts, right? They're traveling, they have, they have just experienced these great things, and now they're traveling in the wilderness, and they start to grumble because they're concerned about where water is coming from. And it is, these are very real concerns, because I love how the text makes it clear. They were traveling three days in the wilderness before they started crumbling. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but that is actually pretty noble, because they spent three days without water before they started saying, man, I'm getting a little parched. I mean, maybe they had some wine skins and water skins with them, and so they were, they, but by, probably by day three, those were all gone, and they're looking around saying, where are we going to get something to drink? I mean, I've taken youth out hiking, and you can't go 200 feet before they're like, man, where's the water bottle? These people actually, I would say, they're pretty noble. They waited three days in the wilderness before they started grumbling, but you can understand this is a real need. The mass of Israel was traveling through the wilderness. Think about that. We're talking a million plus people and all their livestock looking around in a desert environment, and they're like, how are we going to survive? And they start grumbling about that. They start wondering what is. And so they whined to Moses. They whined and said, what's happening here? And the very fact that they whined actually shows us so much about them. For while I, I, we can give them credit that they lasted so long, they're still forgetful. Imagine what just happened. They just sang a song about it. They were dancing with tambourines. Our God provides for us. Our God saved us. Our God brought us through the Red Sea. We look and we see the past about how God took care of the Egyptians, and they just sang a song about it. And in three days, they seem to have forgotten that. They seem to have forgotten all that God has done for it. And now they're just focusing on where are we going to get a drink of water? They were forgetful about how great God is and that how he was going to do what he needed to do to bring them to the promised land. And actually, they were probably selfish in that moment as well because all they could focus on was their own parched mouth or their needs of themselves, and they started thinking about God and saying, God, what can you do for me? How can you satisfy this for me now rather than thinking about what God is doing or the nation of and his promises? That they were ungrateful and immature in that moment too as they were whining because they were focusing on the, what they don't have 
Rather than focusing on and being thankful for everything that God has given them up to that point and letting that thankfulness drive them into faith, knowing that God would provide for them. But ultimately, the grumbling shows a lack of faith. Because the grumbling shows that they actually did not believe that God was going to take care of them. They grumbled, and they were disbelieving that God would provide those basic elements for life to get them to the promised land, to take care of them. But as we see in these three accounts, no matter how often Israel grumbles, God provides. He takes care of them. He brings them first to a a body of water that's called, named Mara, which means bitterness. And he brings them there, and and the water is bitter. It's not safe for drinking. It's probably filled with minerals or sulfur that makes it not suitable for consumption. And they look at that and say, well, this is not providing. So he shows them Moses a log, and he throws it in and becomes sweet, and they can can, uh, uh, satisfy their thirst. They can feed their, uh, uh, um, water their livestock. They can take care of their needs that God provides for them. But it's interesting that he brings them first to this bitter stream, this bitter pool of water. And I love how John Calvin, the reformer, says that God might have given them sweet water drink at first, but he wished by the bitter to make prominent the bitterness which lurked in their hearts. I love that, that John Calvin says God could have provided sweet water for them right at the beginning, but he took them to bitter streams. Why? To show them how bitter they were not trusting in him. But he provided for them there, even in their complaints, even in the bitterness they might have experienced about towards God. He provided them water to drink. And as we think about that, I think it's a call for us to watch ourselves. In our grumbling, in our complaining, that so often we can be just like them and, and, and forget what God has done for us. We can be just like them and be selfish and when we grumble and just focusing on what's going on in our lives to exclusion of everything else. We can be ungrateful, just ignoring the blessings that God has lavished on us and instead of just thinking about what we don't have. And we can show our lack of faith as we grumble and complain because we are doubting God is going to provide. I mean, I read this and it's a warning to myself because I, I mean, I can grumble with the best of them. I can look at life and say, man, I know what I need. And if God, if you just listen, do it. But how, how absurd is that when we start grumbling and showing that we're, for, we're forgetting who God is? When we're grumbling, we're, we're being ungrateful because we, we ignore the blessings that he's poured on us, lavished on us. When we're grumbling, we're actually saying, hey, God, I know that you've given me your son. I know that you saved me from my sins. I know that I'll be with you forever, but I think somehow you've forgotten where I am right now. How absurd is that? And we're grumbling, we're really showing our self-centered nature that we think we know better than God, and rather we need to rely on the truth of what the Word says again and again, that God will provide, that God does provide, that God perpetually provides for His people, and it's perfect for what we need. And we need to remind ourselves of this. 
And in fact, I love how this text says it. He actually repeats it several times in several of the accounts that he did this to test the people. Now, we can read that, and I, uh, you know, you can kind of get um, taken back like God's testing the people. What does that mean? But we see that actually throughout Scripture that God actually puts people in situations that they might not want to be in, but he does it. Why? To test them to, so that they can prove their faith, so that their faith can actually be proven to be genuine and sure that actually when we have true faith, we stand firm in situations because we rely on God and look to him and not just our circumstances. And so he's testing the people to see if their faith was true. He's testing them to see whether they loved him or did they love the things he could give them. He was testing them to actually to, uh, uh, burn away all those other things in their life that might distract from so they can rely on him and know him for who he is. And actually, when you read the account of the whole Exodus and through the Bible, you see this is the, the whole purpose for the wilderness journey they take. And how long they take it that God was going to take a people out of Egypt and he wanted to burn all the things of Egypt away from them and so that they could be his people forever and follow him and know who he is. And so he brought them to the wilderness so they could know him and rely on him and him alone as his people. And that was his purpose for taking them through the wilderness and the long journey before they could go to the promised land that they would be purified as they sought to follow him. And this testing, as we see, was uh, something that if they would trust him on a daily basis, and if they would trust his law, his rules. For when God gave this rule about how they would gather for six days and then rest on the seventh, he was seeing if they trusted him. Do you trust me enough to actually gather daily that I'll give you your daily bread, what you need? And will you trust me that on that sixth day you will actually have enough to last you the seventh day so you can rest? Will you trust me enough to follow my commands? And so he's testing them to see if they could have a daily dependence on God even as they listened to his commands and followed him. This is a daily nature of, of him providing the quell and, and the bread in the morning is that they would trust him and depend upon him on a daily way. That's not them providing for themselves, but God provides for them. I think it's interesting when we, when we arrive in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, that he, provi- he, he teaches them a, a prayer provision in the Lord's Prayer. And what is that prayer? It says, give us this day, our daily bread. He actually was teaching disciples the same thing Israel was being taught back then, is that each and every day we daily depend on our God. That give us this day our daily bread. That each day we rise and we say, this day, God, provide me what I I need. Don't think about tomorrow because God will provide tomorrow just as he always has. But this day, provide for me what I need to get through this day. How would our lives change if we viewed the things we hit in life, the circumstances, the situations we put in, the trials, if we viewed them not as things that were hindering us, not as things that were somehow outside of God's control, but actually were things being used by God to test us and prove our faith? 
How would our view of life change if we actually went through life saying, yeah, it gets hard. Yeah, it gets difficult. But I can look towards God and trust him in this, and I know he's going to get me through, and he's going to provide for me. And in the process, in that fiery furnace of the circumstances, I know that my faith is deepening. I know that my faith is broadening as I see him work in all these different situations. And I trust him who's going to get me through it. That's not just an Old Testament concept for we see that same thing being brought about in, um, in the New Testament in 1 Peter 1. There's my marker. There we go. Peter's, Peter's talking about the same kind of things. And, he's, and he says this, In this you may rejoice, which he's just talking about a great salvation. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, the reasons these trials have come is so that <clears throat> the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That we're tested even in this life, that these things, these various trials come upon our life, just like they came upon in Israel, so that the genuineness of our faith may be tested, proved to be tr true in this life. Now, this is the, how God tests us and proves us, and so it changes our even understanding of life. For if, if we let it, sometimes when we experience hardship, our first reaction is to go, God, where are you? Just like the Israelites did when they were experiencing hunger or thirst. Is he among us or not? Where is God? And we can do that in our lives, but rather, let's change our framework. Let's change how we view life and say, no, we know God is here. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's going to get us through. And so instead of asking, where are you, God? Start asking, what are you teaching me in this moment? How are you moving to deepen my faith in this moment? How are you making me and testing that my faith is pure? And how can I live for you? That changes our framework and our understanding about who God is and how he works in our life. Because too often in this world, especially in America and the West, we believe this false gospel that God is giving, comes to give us everything we want to be happy. And that if God loves us, he's going to give us wealth, and he's going to give us health, and he's going to make everything peachy and keen, and we're going to walk through fields of flowers. And it's going to be great in life. We won't have hardship. Your work will go great. Your family will go great. Everything will be good. And if you turn on the television, there's a lot of people on TV preaching that false gospel. But the truth is that God provides for us what we need, not necessarily what we want. And that God has for us something even greater than we imagine. That God has for us the purpose that we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. That we're going to actually be made holy. And we're going to experience great joy in this life because he gives us great gifts to enjoy in this life. And we should enjoy them to the fullness. But we do it all to the glory of God. Knowing that he provides for what we need. That we would go through hardships, but rather than viewing them as somehow God has forgotten us, we view them as God is working in this moment in ways we can't fathom, and he's making us who he wants us to be. That God perpetually provides for his people. That's what we see in this account again and again, that God provides. These three accounts he provides in miraculous kind of ways, right? He makes bitter water sweet. He causes quail to fly into camp. 
so they can just pick up animals and say, hey, I got dinner. He calls this weird dew bread to appear in the morning. I love the account because it's so human because they're like, what do we call this? We've never seen dew bread before. We've never in our life experienced waking up in the morning and see the whole ground covered with this thing like frost and we pick up these fine things like coriander seeds and we can make bread out of it. But he provides this bread for them as he says he's about to rain it from heaven on them. He provides in ways. And finally at the end, when they are again thirsting, he provides water from a rock. He provides in these miraculous ways. And when we read these accounts, I love it because it's very clear that God does it. The people can't do these things. They can't produce these things. They couldn't even make the bitter water water sweet. They for sure couldn't somehow do some quail calls, even if that's how you lure quail into places, and get quail to come into the camp or outside the camp to be harvested. They're not raining bread from heaven. They can't do these things. These are miraculous events that God does. And I love it even because it almost gives a sense that when they go to gather the manna, this language of you gather what you gather, and whether you gather much or whether you gather little, you'll have what you need, and it will last you today. That's it. There's almost a sense of it doesn't depend on you. God provides for your needs. Now, you shouldn't actually hoard it and say, no, no, I, may, I might be a little hungry now, but I'm scared whether it's going to appear tomorrow. You don't hoard it because then it goes bad. Why? Because you're not knowing who God is and depending on him and how he's going to provide for you. That God provides. Do we believe that? Do we look at our Bible and we believe the word of God and believe how he's worked through history and believe it for our own lives, even when we're going hard to it, even when we might not get what we want, but do we believe that God provides? For it's one of those fundamental aspects of faith that God has the power to give you everything you need and that God has his love for you so he will give you everything you need until he calls you home. That God provides. And guess what? God still provides for his people. When we see Jesus start his ministry in his first big sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he talks about how God provides for his people. In Matthew chapter 6, in this great account, as he's talking, he talks about how we should actually not be anxious. We should not worry about what's happening next in our life because God provides. And he says this, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
That Jesus in that passage is saying God provides just like he provided manna from heaven in Exodus. He provides for us. Everything we need, he provides for us. Now, if, you, if we approach that, we can say, well, there are Christians in this world who go to, bread hungry, go to bed hungry. There are Christians in this world who actually die of starvation. They know who Christ is, and yet they still experience want. And the truth is that God provides us everything we need until he calls us home, and then we cast our, head, our minds around this fact that God is perfect in that, and so he's either going to provide for us here and now, or he provides for us finally when we are called home to be with him forever. But in all those things, we know that God provides. He provides for us. If you don't believe that, again and again, we see this through the Bible. We see this in Philippians 4. One of the most uh, verses used out of context is all about how God provides in Philippians 4, starting in verse 11, it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. This is Paul speaking. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Paul is talking about he learns to be content even when he might be in lacking or when he's abounding. Why? Because he knows that God provides what he needs until he's going to call him home. And he can do that. Why? Because Christ strengthens him to do it. Because Christ strengthens his faith to rely on God. And we know that God still provides, and so we praise him for that. But we also know that God provides even greater than our physical needs. For Christ meets all of our needs our deep spiritual needs, our need to be saved from our sins, to be freed from this world, to be freed from the enemy, that Christ meets all of those needs. So a little further in Philippians, Paul kind of relates this all together when he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to riches and his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, we have all of our needs met, not just the physical needs. God provides for us what we need now, but our spiritual needs, the things that go deeper, our sense of belonging that we are actually brought into his family, our sense of meaning that we're actually given a mission and purpose in this life to glorify him and to spread his word, our sense of, of, of how are we saved, how are we made right, how can we enter the, the holy realm of who God is, is through Jesus Christ who took our sins upon himself and gave us his right standing before God. Every need we have is meant in Christ, that God provides far greater for us than he did for the people in Israel when he brought them food and water, for he gives us everything we need for this life and the life that comes after this life, all in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said the same thing. And Jesus actually even used these images of water and food to point to who he was. I mean, we see that when he, he actually uses water to talk about how he provides what water can't provide. And, uh, and when he's with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he talks to her in, in John 4, 14, he says, But whoever drinks of the water uh, that uh, I give you will never be thirsty again. The water that I give you will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking to that woman that it's not just normal water, it's actually salvation. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and it brings eternal life. 
A little later, he's talking to people when he, in John 7, he talks about, he goes, uh, right after a uh, feast, when they're pouring water on the altar, he stands up and he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They're saying he's the fulfillment of this, this need for water, that it goes beyond physical, he goes to the spiritual, that you can drink of him, and you'll never thirst again. He even takes the bread that, they, that, and, uh, that came down from heaven and he uses it to point to him. In John 6, he says, to, uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That they can find the fulfillment, not just physical, but spiritual. They can find all they need in him. In John 6, 47, 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, uh, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That Jesus says, your fathers ate manna as God provided for them, and they still died. But I am the bread that comes down from heaven, just like that manna, but it's completion of the manna, what that, what that manna pointed to. And as you eat of this, if you consume me, if you believe in me, you won't die. You'll live forever. That God provides everything we need for this life and the life that comes next. God perpetually provides for his people. So when you read this text, when you see these accounts, when you're faced with this fact that God provides, perpetually provides, powerfully provides, perfectly provides for his people, what was our response? I think we read this text and we see the people of Israel, and the question is presented for, before us, are we going to grumble or are we going to trust? When life gets hard, when we see things we think we need, when we actually experience real needs, are we going to grumble and doubt, show a lack of faith in who God is? Are we going to question where he is? Are we going to be like the people? Are you among us or are you not? Are we going to um, uh, you know, just focus on our own needs? Are we going to be all those things, forgetful of the bounty he's provided for us so far? Are we going to grumble or are we going to trust? No matter how hard it is. Are we going to look beyond our present circumstances and see the God who gives every good gift? Are we going to see the God who's given us all his riches in Jesus Christ? Are we going to look to him and know who he is and trust in who he is and how he works in our life? When we walk in faith, when we walk in as the Bible dictates, we choose to trust who God is that God provides for us. And you know what's great about our providing God? That even when we mess up and don't trust, and we grumble and we complain, when we take our eyes off of Christ and look at our circumstances, he still provides for us then. In fact, he provides for us even more because it's not how well we can trust that gets us him. 
It's not how well we can actually trust in God that somehow gets us salvation. No, he even provides us salvation when we grumble. We lack faith, and he provides us what we need in the moment. He provides us in our failures as just as much as he provides us in our victories as we walk in him in faith. So we trust in God's provision, looking towards him, and we cast all of our anxieties on him when we worry about what is going to happen next, trusting in him and who he is and how he's working in our lives, being confident that God perpetually provides for his people. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we know this truth, we can read this truth, and we can understand this truth. And so many of us can experience this truth, that you provide for us, that all of our needs are provided, that what we, what we need for this life and the life to come is provided by you. And we trust that and we walk in faith in that. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us that we can lift our eyes to you, that as we wonder what is going on in our life, when we hit hardships, when we hit circumstances we might not understand, when we are just going through life, that we can trust in you and how you're providing even in those situations. Lord, we, I just ask that we all can walk in that faith, that we can trust you even when we fell in that walk, that you provide what we need. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to stand and join us in this last song, you may do so.